Hello and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hadj Assad, and with me, as always, is my good friend and fellow automotive journalist, Benjamin Hunting. Say hi to the people, Ben. Greetings, human listeners. Greetings to everyone. If this is the first time you're listening to our podcast, thank you for trying something new. I will reiterate, Ben and I are a pair of automotive journalists. But more importantly, we are very good friends. I think it's what makes our journalism just so much more powerful. Right, Ben? In the annals of our long friendship, the words that we write on the page about automobiles are the glue that hold it together. That's right. In fact, you can find Ben's work all over the internet and uh, print, I suppose. Uh, Ben, I'm sorry. I ignored everything you just said. What annals? I don't know. I just spaced out. Did I say something? Why don't you tell the people where they can find your work? You can find my work at Motor Trend, at Sometimes Car and Driver, at Haggerty, and at Inside Hook. And you can find my work at autotrader.ca, driving.ca, Nouveau Magazine, and Electric Autonomy Canada. Ben, we've got some cars to talk about this week, as always, and some other, probably a bajillion other, like, tangents and other things we'd like to talk about, because, you know, it's a great time for me and you to talk to each other and people to hear what we talk about, um, which is usually just cars and stuff, right? Life is not a straight path, Sammy. I wish our podcast was called Cars and Stuff, or Stuff yeah. and Cars. <laughs> cars and Stuff is arguably not a worse title than Unnamed Automotive <laughs> Podcast, if I was to A-B those two things together with a focus group. Uh, cars and other stuff. So I drove uh, a car this week that is the last of its kind, Sammy. It's a car that has been around seemingly forever, but is finally taking a victory lap and fading into the distance. And that's the uh, Dodge Challenger. But specifically... I drove the last call version of the Dodge mm-hmm. Challenger, which is a series of cars that Dodge is making, not just Challengers, but Chargers as well. And they're kind of special editions that are, you know, depending on how you view it. Um, they made a Hellcat version. They made an RT version. They made a Demon version. I think the Demon 170. Yep. Uh, for the one that I drove, though, it was the Swinger. Which is based on the Scat Pack, which is my favorite version of the Challenger. But okay. it, it doesn't really add anything other than aesthetics. Like, it's completely a styling package. And normally, that would not be my thing. I'd be like, oh, why would I pay more? Or why is this special? Just because it's like different paint and stickers and all that stuff. But the way I see it, that's kind of adding this additional... What else is there left to do? Well, that's the thing. But, but even more than that, adding this flair to the car is underscoring all the things I like best about the the Scat Pack. Because as a Challenger fan, and I am a Challenger fan, I think they look cool. Uh, I think it's ridiculous that they made the Hellcat and the Demon is the fastest car I've ever driven in a straight line, I guess, um, at a drag strip. But uh, the, the thing about the car is I'm not really the kind of person who loves top speed. I'm not really the kind of person who needs the fastest car in the world. What I've always liked about the Scat Pack is it kind of married the attitude of a muscle car with enough performance for it to be fun and still function as like a daily driver that's relatively reasonable for almost anyone's lifestyle. Right. Um, But we got to get back into this whole last call thing. Why is this? I mean... It's quite the name for a series of final products, right? And I mean, there's always been automakers that will monetize or promote the the end of a production or anything like that. Last call is a, a term that I guess is frequently used in the in the hospitality industry, I guess. When when you go to a restaurant or a bar and you're like 
they're, they're closing up shop now, right? Well, yeah, if you want the if you want a challenger, you need to get a 2023 challenger because there's no 2024 challenger. There you go. It's last call. That's and it. it's it's hard to believe we're about to exist in a universe where there are no challengers available. I can't remember a time when there was no challenge. You it's know? been 15 years of the LX platform, and there will probably be something challenger like in the future, but it's going to be a very different car. It's either going to probably have that. Uh, twin turbo straight six that the um, Grand Wagoneer L that I drove recently had, or it's going to be electrified. Like, I think those are the the two options that we're looking at. It's not going to, it's most likely not going to be a large displacement V8 like the scat pack that I had. That's a shame. Are you missing that? Are you going to, are you going to miss that? I mean, you, you sounded pretty enthusiastic about the hurricane engine last week. It's a great engine. And if you're into performance, I think it's a great move for the challenger. But for me, what I've always liked about the challenger, as I mentioned before, it's the whole package. It's the swagger. Okay. It's the look, it's the, the comfort of cruising around. Like I'm never, I'm not the kind of person who wants to take a challenger to the racetrack. I want to take a challenger to a cruise night, or I want to take a challenger to like on a long-term trip or some long-term mm-hmm. trip, a long distance trip, you know, a car that has a V8 rumble that looks good, that is comfortable to drive um, and has a lot of personality. And the thing about the swinger package, so I think it comes in three colors. The one I got was like a dark green. I think it's called fate green F8 green. Uh, And it has a kind of a lighter green and gold sticker on the side. This is swinger and inside and badging and all that stuff. It plays around with green and gold and it looks pretty good. It's a wide body car. Mm -hmm. Um, You don't really notice the wide body too much which is nice. I think it, it doesn't look forced or anything like that on the vehicle. And it, mine had a six-speed manual transmission with the 6.4 liter V8. So that is, I think, 485 horsepower or something like that. And it's very similar torque. It's a heavy car. It's a big car. It's not the kind yeah. of car, like where I'm living now, there's a lot of fun back roads. It's not that kind of car. Like it's it's okay, but it feels a little bit oversprung for those roads. And that it was on all season tires because I think that the fleet is a little concerned about uh, temperatures dropping and the roads being wet and stuff. So yeah, they swapped over to more conservative, yeah. more conservative rubber. So it's it's not really a perf- it's a performance car in the sense that it's like four point two seconds to sixty in a straight line if you can get it to hook up, but. If you, when you hit a corner, it's kind of like, whoa, easy there, guy. Like, <laughs> we, don't, we don't need to be doing this quite as aggressively as you want to. I need to talk more about this whole concept, right? Like, we talked about, um, about the last call. We talked about what makes the Challenger stand out to this day. I think it has stayed uh, stud- steadfast to its mission of being this, like, really chill, high, not high performance, but, like, powerful swagger attitude car. And that's something that's really important to talk about because it's competition or whatever. It's it's um, what's the best word? It's peers in the Mustang and uh, Camaro have all decided to go a little bit more high tech. Have all gone uh, sharper with like really tight platforms and all these other things, um, and have taken away the the personality that the muscle car era seemed to have um, exude. For sure, and I, I completely yeah. agree. And and. You know, the other thing too is styling wise, yeah. The Challenger never evolved. Like never. It, it it gained some tweaks and some upgraded lighting, I think in 2014 or 2015, but the the general shape never changed. And then you look at the Mustang and the, which started right I think I think we got our first Challenger in what, 2008? Something like that, a couple years after the Charger. And that's yeah. right around the era where the Mustang had come out in 05 with the real retro looks, right? And then in 2010, I think we got the Camaro. 
And so yeah. those three cars existed at the same time in the same kind of retro universe. But but both Ford and Chevrolet were like, now we're going to go back to the wind tunnel and make everything more aerodynamic and aggressive and whatever. And they they yeah. left retro behind. And, and the Challenger was just like, now nah, we're going to stay retro forever. And, it, and they it, also went with turbos and four cylinders and like other things as well, right? Yeah. And it, in, in, the, in the final analysis, I mean, if you're looking at these three cars, mm-hmm. um, as impressive as the Hellcat is in terms of power, the real winner for sports car fans is the Alpha platform under the Camaro, which is yeah, but yeah, nobody, apparently nobody cared. Like no. that's the weirdest thing to me is well, like no one was like into it. Well, strangely, Sammy, you have to actually be able to see out of a car to drive it, and <laughs> especially if it's high performance. Yeah, and the Camaro designers forgot that, and we got this kind of like gradually more crushed roofline, and just not really. I don't know. I wouldn't say anonymous, but kind of strange looking design that I don't think appealed to a lot of people by the time, you know, it was announced that they weren't going to renew it. Um, so I don't know. I think the, the test driver at Chevrolet who specif- who like specifically did, um, you know, the, the Camaro testing, I think he's got x-ray vision or something. Um, and it's the only, it's the only way they like approved this, right? Like- and, and, and the Mustang, you know, you're right. Talking about high tech, that car went in a very high tech direction, but I think it's, not arguable that it's not as rewarding to drive as it used to be. And Mm -hmm. perhaps is, you know, the challenger has been a great grand touring car. And I think the Mustang has kind of weighted itself into the grand touring side of things just by getting bigger and less connected with the road. Whereas the challenger was always that way. And Ford is kind of okay with that because they sell a lot of Mustangs. No one really was buying Camaros anymore by the end, and GM just gave up on the whole segment. But what's interesting, too, is if you look at sales, the Challenger caught the Mustang in, like, 2019 or something and has been outselling it since then. Really? So it's a formula that works. Uh, Without having to invest all of this money in high-tech stuff, um, new interiors and whatnot. Like, yeah, uh, sorry, Chrysler was... Stellantis, what FCA, whatever you want to call them, they put big money into the Hellcat motor. I mean, that was not an easy thing to do and to make it so reliable and so repeatable in terms of performance. But that's kind of where it ended for them. Like it was all about the drivetrain. Um, and then further, uh, like like you're saying, the drivetrain is um, inherently a part of that formula that's been successful for the Challenger that provides that attitude and that swagger. What is going to happen when we remove that? I, I mean... Can you make a muscle car with the same attitude as the Challenger without the V8? That's the thing no. that we're going to find out. You're going to make something different. I'm not saying it's going yeah. to be bad, but it's going to be different. And do you think it's a good idea? Like, imagine you're, you're Stellantis and you're like, are we going to try to recapture the people who liked the Challenger with this new product? Or are we just going in a whole new direction and a whole new market? That's, I think, the biggest problem. Yeah, I think they I have think a so lot too. of They have a lot of loyalty with the Charger and Challenger and to ignore that and go in a different direction, um, either design wise, or I don't know how you can tune these products to feel like, because there's a V6 Challenger and Charger. Like, let's yeah. not be, let's not be crazy. Here. And they sell a lot of them and you can rent them at rental counters. They're popular. I mean, they're popular they're fine. because they're big. They're comfortable. Yeah. And the, the other thing too, though, is if we look at the history of Chrysler in terms of pursuing new customers, <laughs> that's a great segue like, actually that's a really good point like look at the 200 and look at the yeah. dart and, and the dart and this new one the hornet i've been seeing it like two hornets on the road since they came out so it's i think it's a little too early to say what's going to happen with the hornet but in the past they have given up very quickly 
Like, I don't even know how long the Dart was on sale for. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And, and it's a whole new vehicle with a whole new platform and and just like crickets, really. It just was not well received. <laughs> it really wasn't that bad. I didn't think it was bad. It was very small inside. It was very small inside, especially in the back. Like, like they canceled it as quickly as Honda redesigned that Civic that one year. Yeah, that they were like, on. you know what? Let's just forget this ever happened. <laughs> So, that's so what, funny. what if that okay, happens sorry. with what if that happens with the Challenger? Like you know, whatever that's the, the Challenger next or a Challenger two point oh, the next or Challenger, or, the, yeah. or you know, if they call it a Barracuda or whatever they call it, it's it, how much staying power are they going to have once they've strayed away from the formula that they know works? And also, like, what happens to Dodge when you remove every vehicle from its lineup? Like, what's left now? <laughs> the Durango is that the only Dodge? Yeah, I, and the Hornet. Oh, the Hornet. Okay. Yeah, we just called the Hornet. We forgot what what brand Stellantis. So there's is, a but. there's there's not the Chrysler's just gonna have the um, Pacifica. Pacifica. Dodge is gonna have the Durango and the Hornet. Well, there's a rumor that there's going to be a 300 based on whatever this will be. But that seems odd. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course it does. It's like it's like trying to make fetch happen. I just don't, you got to <laughs> stop trying to make fetch happen. So, anyways, back to your swinger, though. Yeah. Um, look, seriously, if you were to, if you liked the whole thing that a char- a challenger brought to the table, wouldn't you have bought one by now? No, I mean, not everyone has all challenger money just falling out of their pockets. I mean, maybe you've been saving up. Maybe twenty twenty three is your year. <laughs> it's their year. Yeah, you better get on it before they what increase in value or something. I like this nostalgia of the car. I think they yeah. did the seventies part very well. Um, it was fun. I like, and I, as I mentioned, the attitude of the car is everything for me. The Scat Pack is the perfect amount of power for this car. I think the RT is just not enough, and the Hellcat is too much for me. Um, I know lots of people like the power of the Hellcat, and they prefer that. That's yep. fine. It's still out there. That's what's nice, too, about the Challenger lineup. You have these three V8 options. You don't have that anywhere else. Like every yeah, yeah. single other muscle car, it was one V8, you know? Uh, so, and once it's gone, we'll never see anything like it again. That's another thing that kind of sucks. Uh, even if they do come back with something, as we mentioned, like they're going to have to go in that same forward looking direction that all of their competitors have. There's there's no, they're not going to bring back like a throwback car. It's just, but wouldn't it be nice though? You know how like Dodge has been selling the Ram classic alongside the new Ram. What if we got like the challenger classic where they're like, I think we've been having the challenger classic for a couple of years. I I don't think they have (laughs) access to the same kind of uh, loopholes in the emissions and fuel economy rules for cars as they do trucks. So it's a little harder for them to do that. I think they're going to put it on, on, uh, they're going to put it on a, a raised suspension, call it a truck. And then just immediately, as so part of the PDI, a Challenger crossover. <laughs> yeah, exactly. you saying, "Oops, all V8s," like something <laughs> like that. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. Um, they did that with the. I think they did that with the. Um, what was it called? The Grand Cherokee as well. They had the Grand Cherokee. I think they called it the WK or something like that. Yeah. And they were like, "This is the old one. We still have some. We got some leftovers. Uh, Come and get it. Sell them. Yeah." <laughs> You don't that's, deserve that's the new totally one. In the, that's totally in the sphere of Stellantis. They can do that. And like, honestly, of all the companies, you'd think that Stellantis would make a crossover Challenger. Like, Porsche has the, <laughs> the 911 Dakar and you drove the Sterato. The Lamborghini Sterato, yeah. yes. So like, why not, um, sorry for the singing, why not have, <laughs> Don't apologize. It was beautiful. Why not do that with a Challenger? I mean, what would they call it? The dude? The Challenger dude? <laughs> 
I can see that. Did you know that there's actually a Mustang rally coming? A, a Mustang Mach-E? Sorry. A, a raised Mustang Mach-E version, like, model. I've heard rumors of it. I didn't know it No, was... it's real. It's legit. It's legit. You've seen it? You touched it? No, I didn't touch it, but I got a press release on it. Wow. Isn't that wild? What's all, what have we done to our lives where everything must be slightly higher than the normal model? I need it to be taller. way more than slightly higher. I need it to be like Bigfoot levels of high. <laughs> I need to be like like uh, Bigfoot from Roadhouse driving through like that car dealership. Oh, yeah. You know what I'm saying? That was a Bigfoot? That was a Bigfoot, yep. Wicked. Okay, so back to the swinger. You're, are you going to recommend that, that somebody gets on this or what? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's a cool version of the car. I like the scat pack and the color is nice. Yeah. And it has and a shaker re- hood. I forgot to mention shaker hood. Pretty badass. <laughs> and just to reiterate, shaker, I mean, sorry, scat pack is SRT, SRT powertrain with. Just like a pretty normal suspension. Norm, no, Non-stiff no, suspension. You don't need like an SRT suspension in a Challenger. It's posing. You don't need that. It's not going to happen. Don't go to the track with your Challenger. I mean, you can. And It'll you eventually it and go fun, in the direction that you pointed towards. If right? you want to do like, it and have fun, then go do I'm not going to tell you not to have fun. But what I'm saying is if you're looking for a track car, don't buy a Challenger. I feel like you can do better. I think the Challenger strengths lie elsewhere. And I think the, the coolness of the package is really what you should focus on. That's, okay, that's, I then, guess that's all I have to say about the swinger. That, that's I just need to ask you one. This is the most difficult exercise I think we'll have on the podcast Uh-oh. for a while. Uh-oh. It is how do we distill what the Challenger is in like three elements? Just good vibes, man. Good vibes. <laughs> and how do they take those elements into an electric or, or more fuel efficient standard? Obviously, some kind of artificial sound generator. I think that's worked really oh, well for every company that's Here ever we go. Out. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, okay. It's just weird. I don't know. Like, I don't see this making the leap, you know? I don't see this this ideology making the leap. Are you trying to say that the electric Mustang Mach-E is not as cool as the V8-powered Mustang GT? It's a fast car. It feels fast, but that's not all a Mustang is, right? right. And that's what we're worried about, I think. There's vibes, like you said. There's a coolness factor, and that doesn't come with a four-door bean-shaped vehicle. So, Wow, bean-shaped. Here we go. Yeah, you heard me. Let's some some people people live in beans. Some people eat beans every day. (laughs) Some people do eat beans every day. Yeah, I I will not stand for the disrespect you're sending to the bean farmers of Canada and America. Listen, ever since you've been on that bean diet, I've been hearing nothing but propaganda for the beans here. Look, get on board and you will not have to hear from me again. Yeah, you know what they say. Once a bean, always one. It's a very affordable one-time charge <laughs> for access. Bean of the bean of the month. Bean of the month. That's what we should call every new SUV that that comes in every month. The bean. Here's the bean of the month. So, speaking of beans of the month, I think you actually have one that you. Uh, you yeah, can use. mine is a bean. It's a uh, it's it's a big bean actually. I I drove the Volvo XC90 Recharge, um, which is a really you know what we got to talk about nomenclature of new cars because i called this the xc90 recharge and i realized that if you just flip the two letters in that name to cx90 you get the mazda that is also a plug-in hybrid three-row vehicle and i'm sure people are going to get really confused about xc and cx i mean it's possible the two letters are right next to each other on the on the keyboard you know what i mean so far apart on the alphabet yeah like if you think about it i do think it's silly i often wonder why car companies don't, you know, open a brochure before naming their cars to like see if there's anything even close to to what they're considering. But uh, yeah, it's it's all too common these days to just get caught in the alphabet soup and not be able to make head or tail of what you're seeing. 
All right. Well, we got more to, more nomenclature things to talk about near like after this, but this XC90 recharge basically is a plug-in hybrid version of the three-row XC90. Um, it has a rated 455 horsepower. It doesn't it doesn't feel like it should be this fast, but once you really ask for it um, to get going, all of the the gas motor and the electric motors go flying into into you know action. And you got a zero to 60 time of five seconds. Can we just stop and acknowledge how insane it is that a family three-row crossover has 455 horsepower? Yeah. No, we can't. We can stop. We, like, should, we should stop. That's absurd. Um, <laughs> it, the, I think one of the best things about this car is it never felt particularly um, like amped up. There's some cars that have that much horsepower. <laughs> no, no. Tell there's, me about amped up. There's some cars that have that much horsepower and just make every... Every sprint from a stop sign, every every time you throw you you tip into the throttle at a stop sign or a stoplight, they're like, let's get going. Like, like it feels high strung. Yeah, yeah. This didn't feel like that. I appreciated that. I think it was in an effort to use the electric motor um, and the electric battery range first. Um, it does have about thirty two miles of electric range, which isn't too bad. I wish it kind of had more. Um, well, it's heavy co- though. It's large and heavy, right? So it is large. It is heavy. Um, I didn't find it super practical, though. Wait a um, <laughs> the third row is really difficult to get into. There's no like real, there's no real way to get into the third row. You have to have really skinny pencil legs to like slide behind the the second so row. So it's children only. I don't even think a child can do it unless they're like a climbing expert or something. Like they gotta. I found you have the best way to do it is you have to fold the seat back forward and then just slide on through and then. It's awful. It's awful. Um, it was my biggest complaint with the vehicle. Um, even the, uh, the the powertrain is, is pretty good. I found out that there are a couple of things that change between the um, fully electric XC40 that I drove in terms of the interface and this model. Particularly, you heard me complaining about the, like, every time you got into the XC40 recharge, you had to press a button to unlock the cable. Um, one of our listeners pointed out that in the plug-in models, that isn't the case. There isn't even a an, er- an area or a button or a screen that tells you what's going on with the charging, except for on the gauge cluster. Um, so you have to press the unlock button on the inside of the door panel. Or I think if you double tap the um, the unlock button on the key, it'll also unlock. But again, it's just adding this like extra step to what is a normal what should be a normal driving experience. And right? also, like, I think it's strange that uh, going back to nomenclature, the fact that the recharge is a term that's used for battery and non-battery powered cars is confusing. Yeah, yeah, but, absolutely. I, um, yeah, go ahead. No, 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 that's, that's all I had. Um, another, another thing that I should mention is that this is a nearly $100,000 car. Actually, oh maybe goodness. a little bit cheaper. And you can't uh, get 80, in the third row. 85,000, 85,000. Sorry, I'm, I'm, I jumped the gun. That's US dollars. That's US dollars. 85,000 US dollars, no third row access. You can. There's a third row. I don't know how to get there. It's. it's I don't know <laughs> how. Did you I try going through the moonroof? The moonroof does not uh, does not help it that much. No. Um, and of course, you also have um, to use that um, that that just cursed Android Automotive OS um, interface. The upside to the XC90, especially when you get to the higher trim models, is it has a great sound system with like thousands of wattage of power it just sounds great the seats are fantastic they're super comfortable how would you know uh, you didn't even get into the third row well the front seats are great <laughs> <laughs> the front seats are great i really appreciated them sammy had just said volvo seat apologist third row apologist <laughs> i can't i will not recommend the third row no not at all <laughs> um and um 
I don't know. There, there's elements of this, the ride quality that's really strong. But every time I would, you know, pop up in the trunk or look in that third row, I'd realize there's something missing here. And I don't know how to take advantage of that. If there's somebody out there who has an XC90 and regularly uses the third row, um, I don't know if this is just a recharge issue or maybe all XC90s are this um, cumbersome to get in the back of. But I just I just did not find it super convenient. I would, I'd love to hear from people. I would be curious also to hear from anyone with a three-row SUV who uses the third row regularly. Because I don't think it happens that often. I feel like most of the time a third row is an insurance policy in case you have to pick up someone else's kids from, from whatever. Or in case you have family visiting. I know that I remember there was this, I don't know if it's still true, but for a long time there was this marketing push to kind of have grandparents purchase minivans. Because that way like three or four times a year the whole family would visit and everyone had room. And most of the other time they were just hauling air in the back. So right. Um, I think that for three row, I know definitely for midsize three rows where there's almost no room at all, it's not yeah. used at all, period. Like it's it's an emergency pull, break glass in case of seating kind of situation. But for the larger ones, I think it's similar. So I would like if anyone out there does use their third row on a regular basis, I would love to hear from you. Not one of those like expeditions or suburbans, no, right? Like those then, are, no- yeah. Even then I'd like to hear because I think that those have even less usage because I, I feel like most of the time a vehicle that size is for hauling cargo or towing. Okay. Yeah, or towing. I would say towing probably. Um, but I thought that ever since the introduction of the, um, actually, I want to talk specifically about the luxury space. What is the luxury space t- telling people about three row SUVs? I don't think there's a lot of them that are this that are like super useful for the third row right well i mean what do you define as super useful like are you saying something like a qx regular being regularly being used in the in the back in the third row no i don't i don't think like i just said i don't think any even in the luxury space so imagine in the luxury space yeah um, i kind of feel like in the luxury space the larger size is being bought for prestige uh, more, so, more, more so the practicality. Presence. Yeah, so like <laughs> I would think that even less usage of the third row. How interesting. That's just my uninformed opinion. I, I think you're not far off. I think that makes sense. I'm trying to think of the best third row, three row SUV practicality-wise. I mean, pra- like luxury, over, luxury, practi- luxury practicality. I mean, the, the one that you would pretty, recommend. The Escalade uh, is pretty practical. And that, that Grand Wagoneer L I had was like, yep. I mean, those are definitely... I mean, it's like a school bus size. So, sure, there's the practicality in terms of seating. I mean, that's balanced out by the fact that, you know, you can't drive it in a city. But it's like, yeah, yeah. I mean, I did. I, to be fair, I took that Grand Wagoneer into my alley, backed it up to my garage and loaded it up with stuff. I was able to do that, you know, but it's not right. easy and it's not convenient, but it is possible. So I would say. Well, with the addition of the luxury mark, you get to add all these like cameras and stuff that make it a little bit easier to navigate in tighter spots. Yeah, but it's the XC90. I will admit that was one of its assets that had a lot of these cameras and sensors and stuff that helped me not crash it into things. But I will. But they don't change the size of the vehicle, right? Like, no, (laughs) it's still. They just make you rely on a tiny screen somewhere to figure out where you're going. Yeah, it still has the same proportions. But uh, Uh, because there was a push from like all the there is a push from all the automakers to have a three row crossover. I mean, the Cadillac XD6, there's this Volvo XC90, there's the new Lexus Texas. I think it's called (laughs) Lexus Texas. Um, Infinity QX60. Yeah. And then all the other German ones like the X7, the GLS and the Q7. I think the Q7 is maybe the most third row usable i x7 is not bad either 
I, at I, seven I, is great. Yeah, yeah. I, I've always said that. That's weird. That's weird. I don't I mean, like being told to buy something for a feature that isn't a fun like a functional part. And it. all of those companies like largely came late to the game. Imagine you bought a computer and like one of the keys just worked like uh, a thirty percent of the time. It that would be annoying, wouldn't it? I, but I think it's you're saying you only use the key thirty percent of the time, or only works yeah. three out of every ten pushes. Because like, those are different things. <laughs> Both, really. One is reliability, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I don't know. Like, I just feel like I hate that. You know me. I hate I hate it when I'm told something to imagine that this is what the way the car should be used or this is why the car exists and then get something dramatically different. But the other thing to consider is that especially in the luxury segment, you're not necessarily buying a real car. You're buying a concept of what that car will do for your life. And, and that never happens. Really, Their concepts are a way off. As with any kind of marketing it it, it it posits a world where you have enough friends <laughs> to, to, <laughs> to fill care. to fill all three rows, and that makes you feel good. You're like, oh, you and know who what? Care at what about what you're driving? Maybe I do know six other people who would like to go somewhere with me, and so you buy that car, and you it's aspirational, and you're like, yeah, this car is going to change everything about my social my social life, and then really it's like you've had reality sets in, in. Yeah, you've had yeah. three people in it, Max. Like maybe a dog one time in the back. You're like, okay, we'll put the we'll put the dog. The dog transportation in the, in the rear of the vehicle. It's 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 like having a two hundred mile an hour Hellcat. Like, what do you? You're never going to drive two hundred miles an hour because you're. I mean, unless you live in the desert, it's hard. On to those find, American unrestricted highways. Yeah, yeah, it's hard to find a road long enough. I'm not saying they can't go that fast. My personal top speed in a Hellcat is 160 miles an hour, and that's when I got scared yeah. and decided that maybe I wanted to stay living more than I wanted to see 200. Um, <laughs> Which is it, that's the one time, really. It's the only time I've ever felt that way. Every 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 other time, the the call of two hundred miles an hour is beckoning to me. But yeah, it's the, you're you're being sold the potential of what you could become, of what your car could help you become. And I think that that nowhere is that more true in the luxury space. Mm-hmm. Um. Anyways, you know, I I liked parts of this car. I just I'm missing the the point here. Um, if you are using it as a two-row crossover, I think you're overpaying a bit. I think you should probably consider a two-row crossover that – because I think the second row – the, the two-row vehicles in this segment, especially if you're looking at, like, let's say an X5. Yeah, which is super good. Would be just as spa- just as spacious in the trunk than this thing is when its rear seats are down. Yeah. And I think it's more luxurious. The, and I think there's a plug-in – there's got to be a plug-in hybrid version I mean, of the and, and you look at like a G80, you know, a Genesis G, GV80, sorry. And that's yeah. also a great vehicle, two-row vehicle. I mean, I would put that up there with the X5 just in terms of space inside, uh, cargo space, practicality. And you don't need that third row. You're really going to benefit from not having it there, getting in the way. The only one I'm saying where, where um, you want something that's plug-in capable, right? And okay. you can get that in the X5. Yes, and in I fact, think the we've best both said, the <laughs> yeah, we've all said that the X5 is best. And that's a 480 horsepower car instead of 450. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, but I mean, I expect that from BMW. <laughs> you just expect as much power in all these things. Um, anyways, I, not that I, like I said, comfortable um, and, and cool looking, but um, I don't know. I'm not feeling the, the third row uh, practicality aspect of it. Maybe a bit more expensive if they want to stand out. And... Um, yeah, I would love it if one day 
Volvo was able to bring it all together and present a real complete package that didn't have any asterisks so I could recommend it to people more than I already do. You know what well, I mean? Well, that day will come only when they move away from Android Automotive OS. That's true. That's that true. is the biggest asterisk in a lot of the cars because I think XC40 is totally fine. Um, but you have to really be on board with the Android operating system and Google uh, account. I Google mean, Lexus account, finally right? finally backed away from their absurd trackpad, right? So we do know but it they, is possible. Did you possible. hear that they've added, they've added a subscription model to their infotainment system? Like you have to have an account or something. What it, Does that mean like if you don't subscribe, the trackpad comes back? <laughs> yeah. Because that's my ultimate nightmare. Actually, we go all the way back to the joystick, really. Oh, no. Oh, no. It's like a – no, it's that little <laughs> knob like on the IBM ThinkPads like in the middle oh, yeah. of yeah. It's just like an orange knob and it's super tiny. But don't worry. It's pro- totally safe to do this while Mercedes you're driving. hasn't deviated from those nubs on the steering wheel actually. Yeah. I don't um, know what their deal is. They had the BlackBerry like bold-esque weird thumb trackpad on them. So there's there's something else we wanted to talk about this week that's related to not, Sammy was talking about nomenclature earlier. Um, yeah, and the Tokyo Motor Tokyo Motor Show, I believe, or Tokyo it's Mobility. changed its name. Mobility. All right, Tokyo Mobility something. I don't know what that means, but it's happening right now. It's an interesting show because it's much smaller than any of the North American or European shows. But the Japanese automakers really go all out to kind of. Um, one up each other with concepts and whatnot. And it's also only two years, only every two years. Sorry. Mm-hmm. So it's, they, they have time to, to get their stuff together, but we want to talk about one vehicle specifically that appeared. It's called <laughs> Sammy. Am I reading this right? The Nissan hyperforce concept. Yeah. The Nissan hyperforce concept, of course. So this car was designed in con- in cahoots with Polyphony Digital, which is the company that makes Gran Turismo video games. Yeah. And it looks exactly like what you would expect from that sentence. Um, it's it's kind of a Bosozoku, like, angular... Polygonal look. <laughs> it's like, it's it's very much extroverted. Uh, but the reason we're, we're singling it out is because on the side of the car, it says ASB dash letter number four ORCE. Asby Force. Yep. I don't 1,000 Asby Force. 1,000 Asby Force. Okay. Nowhere in any of the press materials <laughs> does it explain what Asby is. I'm assuming Force is all-wheel drive. That's, that's, that's I, I think guess, e- reasonable. E4 Orse is the same nomenclature given to the Aria, all-wheel yeah. drive Aria. Um, I don't know what the one. I guess one thousand kilo, one hundred kilowatt, or one thousand kilowatt is related to the either the the output. But is a mystery. Like I don't. don't It's just and it's bright. It's like big bright yellow letters too on a gray vehicle. They are proud of Asby. This is something that they should all be proud of our Asby. They said this is something they want you to know about, but apparently don't want you to know about enough to actually define. (laughs) So. Um, does this ask me look make my does this make my ask me look big? It's 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 hilarious. Uh it's 2023 and they couldn't find someone at Nissan to just kind of proofread their car before they put it out in the showroom floor. That is funny to me. Um if anyone out there has any ideas as to what ASB means or has the inside scoop on what ASB might mean, please let us know. Um, or are we pronouncing it wrong? Is it something else? We have exhausted our research abilities on this. And by that, I mean, we did a 10 minute search, couldn't find anything. And no. now, now we're doing the show. Uh, but th- there's an, um, Sammy kind of yes. segueing from this supercar S car. Um, I've been working over the last little while uh, on a series for motor trend, just talking about supercars from each era. And yeah. I was hoping that we could maybe talk about them on the show because 
I, I found out so much interesting information about these cars. Um, I don't know if we talked about them yet. Have we have we done a segment on any of these supercars no. yet? We had an argument about no. We, let's talk about the yeah. We always have arguments about the supercars because Ben thinks a supercar is something very like definitive, and I think everything's a supercar. So, so that's my problem. We wanted it, to start... supercar is in the heart, really, not in the. Oh, the supercar product. is in the heart. Well, thank yeah. you for that uh, generic uh, MLB player from 2024. And I think we all deserve participation trophies. Yeah. Um, we just wanted to kind of wrap up the, the show this week by talking about the most memorable supercars from the seventies. Um, we're going to go down in, in no particular order, but we're going to start out with the the, the De Tomaso Pantera, Sammy. Oh yeah. This is, despite the name, an American car, right? (laughs) It has the most European sounding name, isn't it? That was the whole idea, right? They were like, Italian design is hot. Um, (laughs) American muscle is pretty reliable and cheap. So what if we married those Mm -hmm. two things? And uh, they did that for quite a long time, like starting in the seventies, all the way into like the mid nineties, I think you could buy a De Tomaso. And it was, uh, I believe it was a mid-engine car, right, Sammy? A mid-engine car, yeah, a V8, 5.8 yeah. liter V8, right? And uh, they sold it through Lincoln and Mercury dealerships, so you could actually go and buy the car and then take it back and get it serviced, question mark? I'm not sure. Like, Man, they, the, the, like, wild west of branding back in the day, yeah. you could buy a car named a De Tomaso at a Ford Lincoln dealership, and everyone was like, yeah, cool, bye. And, 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 but when we tried to sell Scions in a Toyota dealership, that that broke down everyone's brain. Like, it's it's Ford was all about that for a certain period of time. They also brought over a European Ford and called it the Mercur, like M-E-R-K-U-R in the early 80s. And they sold that at Mercury dealerships, which isn't confusing at all. (laughs) That would be like having a Ford and a Ferd (laughs) side by side in the showroom. They're like, just replace the O's with U's and you've got gold. (laughs) Um, There's some other really cool 1970 supercars. One of my favorite is the Lancia Stratos. We were talking about off-road oriented like supercars or performance machines just earlier in the podcast. And I think the Lancia Stratos is like the the OG. It's like the original here, right? Yeah, I mean, this is a car that they built just because they wanted to win rally races. And then they're like, well, in order to qualify, you also have to sell them on the road. So this is like one of those we begrudgingly built some street cars. Yeah. Um, and it was a, a Ferrari built V6, which was b- borrowed from the Dino, which was the car that uh, was named after Enzo Ferrari's son, who tragically died um, in that year. I believe he had cancer. I'm not sure exactly. Mm. But uh, the Dino was an interesting car because for a long time, and this is funny, Ferrari fans weren't sure whether it was really a Ferrari or not. Yeah, I remember that. They, they, they. It was the scion of the Ferrari world. Like they went out of their way to brand it as a Dino. And then now it's kind of recognized it's a Ferrari Dino instead of just a Dino. But the Stratos didn't care about any of that. All it cared about was winning rally races. And it was an insane car to drive on the street. It won 18 World Rally Championship events, which is pretty damn good. What there's something about the the Stratos. Every time I see it, it's those wheels. I think it has one of the most like those wheel wells, the size of those wheels, like the rubber uh, on the sidewall is just, it might not look like it profile wise if that's a rally car. But when you see those wheels, you're like, that thing is up to that. That thing's up to no good. Like that's going to cause some trouble on the, <laughs> in uh, off road. Well, I so love it. Speaking of things that are up to no good, um, <laughs> there's the, the next car that I wanted to talk about is the Lotus Esprit. Mm-hmm. Why is that up to no good? Come on. Because the Lotus is like one of those cars that when it came out, everyone was like, okay, this has a four-cylinder engine. 
Um, it's really light, so it's it's fun to drive, but it wasn't like a world beater. It wasn't the kind of car. It, it, it wasn't. It didn't have a Ferrari motor. I guess is what I'm saying. Okay, but but listen, but listen to me. Listen to me. Listen to me. Hold on one minute. A four cylinder that made 160 horsepower in the 70s. That's actually pretty good to me. I mean, like, yeah. I mean, the same era. So my Datsun makes like about the same power from a, a straight a six. six. Yeah. But the the other thing I want to point out about the Spree is these cars were made of glass. Like you could not. <laughs> You could not drive down the street without, like, a window falling out or, like, catastrophic engine damage. Like, they were very, very fragile. And because of that, the reputation that the Esprit had really kind of hamstrung it. Because they kept making Esprits throughout the 80s and the 90s. Yeah. And they kept getting more and more powerful. They had a V8 version. They had a twin-turbo version. Everyone a remembers submarine version. A submarine version. Everyone remembers Pretty Woman, where Richard Gere's character is driving an Esprit. And it, it became this, like... And went into the water. No, wait. That's the spy who loved me. I forgot. It, it became... <laughs> like a supercar that no one wanted to own like after a year or so because it was just so hard to maintain so you could buy a sprees for almost no money on the used yeah. market and by no money i meant like the initial purchase price was cheap <laughs> but then you had to mortgage your house to keep it on the road so it's a temporarily great car until it slowly disintegrates um what there's another well yeah one, one last thing i want to mention about the esprit i think it's important as a vehicle because it was a uh, Giaro design. Yeah. And it was really the car that I think popularized the wedge. Like this is the, the prototype when people think of wedge cars, I think they think about the Esprit because it was so angular, um, front and rear. It, it almost looks the same at the front as it does at the back, just a little bit less triangular and no cars looked like that at that time. Like it was, it was quite different except for the car we're about to talk about. Talk to me about this one. This is the Dome Zero. This is one I didn't have any research, didn't have any information on, no research. Sammy, can, you ever can prepare played, me for this thing. Dome have ever, Zero. Have you ever played Gran Turismo? Yes, of course. Do you remember the Dome Zero and Gran I Turismo? I thought it was a made-up car. I thought it was like Polyphony was like just handing things out. They would just no, you're thinking of the Asby Force. That's <laughs> that's the made-up Polyphony car. Yeah, um, so the Dome Zero was this car that. In the 70s, there was a guy in Japan named Minoru Hayashi, and he realized there were no supercars in Japan, and he, that made him sad. So he was like, I'm going to build one, and it's going to be called the Domu, which means mm. child's dream in Japanese. And it was a super wedge with like a, a center kind of bubble cockpit, and he couldn't make it happen. Like, it had a Datsun motor. Uh, it was supposed to be 300 horsepower, but they only managed to build a 140 horsepower version. He couldn't get the funding to make it possible to produce it on the street, but he did take it to Le Mans and he raced it there. And it kind of faded out after a few years. I think like, um, like the early eighties, it was done in racing and it kind of faded out. And then like in Gran Turismo four, all of a sudden there was a super fast dome zero that you could buy that didn't handle very well. But it could win all of like the classic J Japanese uh, nostalgia races, and it yeah. could do really well at top speed. And people kind of rediscovered this car. And over time, I think they realized this is the first Japanese supercar, like out of everything. And I think you kind of have to flash forward to the '90s before you get anything else. Like I think it goes Dome Zero NSX. Like that's <laughs> yeah. the, that's the line. <laughs> yeah. Like in that's between, crazy. there's no supercars. That's right. That's crazy. And then very few after that. Well, I, I don't know. I mean, you had the LFA. And then? Uh, and another NSX? LFA 2. <laughs> Nobody likes the new NSX. Aw, it's true. <laughs> no. We're going to be looking back at this in 30 years being like, man, that NSX was 
Still junk. No, I'm joking. <laughs> um, okay, after that is a car that I think is controversial on this list, which is the V8 Vantage, the Aston Martin V8 Vantage. What's controversial about it? Uh, I think there are some people who like to consider um, supercars to have a weird, a weird engine location. How about that? Well, I, 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 I don't know. I think you can have a front engine supercar. Is that what you're saying is impossible? I think it's it's difficult to. You have to be a very good front engine supercar to be. To be a, a very very good front engine vehicle to be considered. Well, I mean, this is a hundred and seventy mile an hour car in the seventies. That is very famously good. an era where one hundred <laughs> horsepower was asking a lot <laughs> from a domestic automaker. Um, but talk to me about what makes this the V eight Vantage just. I mean, I think design wise is where where the Aston Martin really excelled in the seventies. It's a gorgeous looking car. Well, it's funny that um, you say that because at the time people were like, "This is a Mustang." Because it yeah, has that, I can see it. The, the rally lights and the grill, and it, it had kind of the classic muscle car proportions, and no one was really building anything like that in England at the time. There was the Jensen Interceptor and the Jensen FF, which were using Chrysler Motors, uh, big 440s, but mm-hmm. the thing is, they didn't really look like muscle cars, they looked more like Grand Touring cars, and I, I think that... People were but used. 70s Mustangs were gorgeous. So what's the problem here? I mean, I don't have a problem with it, but hey, I think take it back. these are quarter million dollar cars now. And it's oh like, God. am I going to spend a quarter million on a car that looks like a Mustang? I think that really <laughs> held back this car for a long time, although it did have a starring role in uh, 10 years later, <laughs> because as we know, Aston Martin just keeps making things forever. Right. It's, it's, it's a good yeah. it's a good policy. Uh, it was in The Living Daylights, which was a James Bond movie where I think it had skis and missiles. And I don't know what else you need from a James Bond car, to be honest. Um, the other product in this, the other car in this, um, in this list that I don't know if we need to really talk too much more about about it because I think it's it's the car, right? Like the Porsche 911, the 930, um, and the Turbo, especially. Come on, yeah, this is it. This is it. This, this is, is the, the car, car that still exists today. People see it and go, "Holy cow!" They they they. It's worth every penny it's worth today, right? This is the car that put Porsche on the map performance-wise in America. Uh, yeah. After building well, nice handling sports cars for a very long time, they finally upped the power. And they finally had a car that could catch Americans' attention. Uh, it was also uh, not an easy car to drive. It had an on-off turbo that would catch you by surprise and put you in the ditch. So that was also part of the reputation. And I think it took a long time for the 911 to shake that. Uh, that that was dialed out of the car by the 80s, but the 930 was still around. It's like, remember we, we said the uh, the Lotus is temporarily, you know, like a great car until it disintegrates? The Porsche 911 930 Turbo is temporarily, like, thrilling until it kills you. Yeah. Like. Yeah. Um, so uh, another car, we talked about this very briefly on another podcast. We'll talk about it too much more. The Panther 6. Yes. <laughs> so, Four wheels good, but what if six? What if six wheels plus <laughs> 500 cubic inch Cadillac V8 engine? They built a few of these. They had a three-speed automatic transmission, and they claimed it could go super, super fast, like in a straight line, and they never proved it. They're prove it. Look, pro- proving things is for posers. There Listen. are still a few of these around somehow. I've never seen one in real life. It's interesting, though, a lot of people kind of uh, poo-poo the idea of six wheels, but back then they were doing it in Formula One. Terrell had a a six-wheeled Formula One car with four steering wheels at the front to kind of harness the extra grip that that made possible. And then what happened to their tire budget? Well, I mean, the tires were smaller. 
<laughs> so they're cheaper. Well, it's, it's not just cheaper, but they also have better aero because they I displace see. less air. That was also part of it. They were like, how can we get the same surface of rubber on the track, the same contact patch, but with a, a narrower or a, 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 a not as tall of a tire so that we can slide it under the wing? So it was all... This was back in the era when people didn't really understand... <laughs> I, I'm gonna I'm gonna say this because I read a book called The Unfair Advantage by Mark Donahue. Mark Donahue mm-hmm. was a very very famous and uh, talented race car driver and engineer in the 70s, and um, he did a lot of racing in sports car racing and uh, all, all sorts of series. But he was partnered with I believe Roger Penske for most of his career, and they did not understand how car suspensions and aerodynamics worked. They would just try things and see what happened. Like he said he had a skid pad at their headquarters because they felt like they should have a skid pad, but they didn't really know why or what they should be doing with it. And then they also talk like to read him talking about like spring rates and what worked and what didn't in certain situations and how largely it was guesswork for them made me feel a lot better about my own lack of knowledge (laughs) when it comes to racing suspension. So uh, if, if someone as intelligent as Mark Donahue was doing trial and error because there was no guidebook, then you, you look at the way Formula One was like, what if we tried four tiny wheels instead of and, and two big wheels at the back? Like, it doesn't seem that crazy from that's that true. perspective. This is the unfair advantage. That's the book you're talking about. Yes. Yeah, I'm going to check that out. So that was the term that they used because uh, Penske and Donahue would call the unfair advantage. Uh, anything that they had determined they could do inside the rules that no one else was doing, they were always looking for something that would give them an edge on the car. And mm-hmm. that's why they did so much research that other teams weren't doing. Um, another 70s supercar that I want to talk about is the BMW M1, which I think is is an icon. I think this is one of the coolest cars ever built. If I ever, every video game I play that has a BMW M1, I buy that. I'm like, this is the thing, man. This is so cool. Um, it's a It's a crazy idea, you know? They had a corporate partner with Lamborghini for a while before, before, I guess, not doing it with them with Lamborghini. Yeah, I mean, Lamborghini is one of those like flakes. <laughs> it's like what's the 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 scorpion and the frog, yeah. <laughs> where you're like, yeah, it seems like a good idea, and then like something crazy happens, like business wise, yeah. and Lamborghini ends up being bought by Chrysler or something, and you're like, oh man, all of our plans gone, Oops, gone up, all bankrupt. Yeah, so the M1 was a car that no one wanted either. Like they. They ended up building it, but it didn't really... Out of obligation, essentially. Out of obligation. It wasn't really competitive in the racing series they had intended to put it in. So I think they made like a single car series just to have the car out on the track. the pro car series. Yeah, so um, it was strange because it's officially the first M car, right? Like that's (laughs) the very first, but you don't really hear hear about it that often. It's, It's not a car that I think caught the cultural zeitgeist, but it is a car whose engine echoed deeply throughout the next decade like the m5 is essentially using a version of the m1's six-cylinder engine and that motor lasted at least two generations of m5 in terms of being evolved so it was a very important cornerstone for bmw performance even if it was kind of overlooked in its era i also just think it's really interesting to discuss the m1 because i think a lot of other automakers were using like v8s in their mid-engine car and these guys showed up with an inline six and I don't know. It's just so. It's just so like BMW. Yeah, they you know kind of I mean? dome zeroed it there. <laughs> yeah, they're like, what were you? What were we up to? <laughs> this is another one that really I don't think a lot of people talk about, which is the Maserati Bora. Um, how, where do we even go? Where do we even begin with this? Again, a Jaguar design, uh, a V8 in the mid-engine, 
It's a it's a pretty funky looking car. Yeah, and it's the kind of car I don't think Maserati is really associated with anymore. You know, like what's up with that? I think that it's a company that's kind of in Ferrari's shadow, and at in that period they weren't. Uh, and the the thing that is most intriguing about the Bora is that supercars can be difficult to drive, especially in the seventies when they didn't understand ergonomics and they were just trying to make as fast a car as they could. And, and they kind of sacrificed a lot of things along the way, but the mm-hmm. Boro actually had a trunk <laughs> yeah. and you didn't need a periscope to see out the back. Um, it was a car that, that because of those things was friendly enough to be used on a daily basis. And uh, that's a real exception in the, in the 1970s, even in the eighties, it was hard to find a supercar that didn't punish you for owning it. Um, and then finally in the seventies, I think we have the definitive seventies supercar is the Lamborghini Countach. I think that's really difficult to like come to that conclusion because Lamborghini has owned a couple of eras. I, th- I think the Miura is one of the first supercars to or mid-engine supercars to hit the road. The Countach, I think, also gains a lot of credibility in as as not. A, I don't know if you want to call it a successor. Is I think, it considered a successor? I think that when you say the word Countach, everyone knows what that means. Exactly. I think, I think when you say supercar, everyone pictures the Lamborghini Countach. Whether yeah. it's this version or whether it's the 80s version, this is like the car that became the cultural shorthand for speed, exoticism, and just over-the-top craziness in car form. Like, you, right. didn't, you didn't have to be a car person or an enthusiast to understand what that meant. And, uh, I mean, in reality, from what I understand, these things are impossible to drive. Yeah, it not has a periscope enjoyable. so you can back it up. Like, that is not an exaggeration. Actually, had some models had a periscope that you could look out of to see behind you, which is crazy. <laughs> but they had really cool doors, right? Super they had cool the doors. Three-comma three doors. Three-comma doors before three-comma <laughs> doors were a thing. Um, yeah, I think I really think Countach is the definitive 70s supercar. I think that's that's the one that is just burned into everyone's brain. Wicked! I love that. That's a good. Com- that's a, that was a good conversation. I like that. I appreciate g- running through these lists uh, that you you've worked on. You've done all the research with and, and shared it with us. Um, if our listeners out there think we've missed a supercar, um, send Ben an email and complain. Really, um, yes, or you can, you can comment on complaints only. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> or if you had experience seeing or driving any of these cars, we'd love to hear from you. Like. I think that'd be really cool. So uh, I think the easiest way to do that is head on over to our website, unnamedautomotivepodcast.com. There's a contact form there. You fill it out and it lands in our inbox and we get to read it and think about it and talk about it. It's a good conversation starter. Um, We love hearing from our listeners, so please do not hesitate. That's one way to do it, through our website. You can also email us the old-fashioned way, unnamed – sorry, what is it? It's uh, benjamin at benjaminhunting.com or you can reach out to us on social media. Uh, ben is on Instagram at Hunting Benjamin, and you can find me on X.com uh, at Sammy underscore ha, like you're laughing. Um, what else do we, what else, do, how do we close usually the podcast? Well, we I talk forget. about where people can download our, our episodes if they would like to do that. Such the internet. Thing. Yes, the internet. Everywhere on the internet. Um, ooh, any podcatcher, our website, it's all there. Just, you know, if you do like the show and you're listening on whatever service, Spotify, Apple, Google, just leave us a like or a rating or a comment and it helps kind of boost the profile and then get more audience into the fold. And that's always a good thing. And what are we talking about next week, man? Next week, I'm going to be talking about the Nissan Aria, Sammy, which is a surprisingly expensive electric vehicle that I like. <laughs> what does that mean? It means that if it wasn't as expensive as it was, I would like Oh yeah, it. we should talk about this next week. Sorry. I would like it a lot more. <laughs> yeah, on. let's do the podcast now. <laughs> no. And I will be driving the Mazda MX-30 
Uh, which is uh, which is another which is another great conversation starter. Yeah, that's for very sure. very different conversation. I think. <laughs> I can't wait to talk to you about it next week, Ben. Uh, thank you everyone for listening. We'll see you later. Bye bye. <laughs>